That was beautiful. I know we all can relate to that. Um, I had um, something happen to me a few weeks ago with a customer that, um, and of course, I think I'm pretty good at what I do. But he proved to me, or at least seemingly, that I do know what I'm doing. Because he said to me, um, he said, uh, I have something to give you because you took good care of me. And he handed me a bill. And, you know, I looked at it and I was thinking, wow, I am good. <laughs> but I told him graciously, no, I, I can't accept it. But then I look closely, and it's a, it's a million-dollar bill. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'll take that. <laughs> but pray for me. I'm tempted to take it to the bank. <laughs> but, uh, but praise God for... Um, for big bills like that. <laughs> but uh, let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much that you're here with us, Lord, and that we that can call on your name, can say, as the songwriter wrote, that we believe in you. What an awesome God to believe in, Lord. We believe in you this morning, Lord, and ask that you would be with us. That you would hide this, this man behind the cross, Lord. And that you would speak words that would encourage us and direct us in Jesus' name. Amen. That was a, I was excited that day when I got that bill, so please excuse me. But um, let's go to numbers. We've been talking about for the last few weeks about uh, the Israelites, and it's, a, it's an incredible group of people who Moses will tell us when we get to heaven and see him, man, what an incredible group of people. And, you know, we are an incredible group of people as well. But um, as I've been studying numbers, it's, it's telling the story of the people. And they're fascinating people. It's a fascinating story. And it's so gripping. It gripped me so much because it's, it's just showing me me inside out, my character, who I am, who God wants me to be. So we're going to go to chapter 13. And I'm going to read some verses and just hang with me. Because all I want to do right now is just create a picture because that's how we need to look at this story. It's a, I have to paint the picture. And then when we paint the picture, hopefully it makes sense to us and that we can all apply it to our lives as we see it clearly. In Numbers chapter 13, we begin with the Lord's request to Moses, where it says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men 
to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. And, you know, I read that and I was thinking, well, Lord, that's an interesting thing for you to do. Given that you promised them that land, why would you send them there? If you go to Exodus, not Exodus, excuse me, Deuteronomy, the first chapter of Deuteronomy, you kind of get the, the next stroke. Like I said, as we create the picture, Moses is talking about, is talking to the people about going to the promised land to send some spies to check it out. And that's one stroke of the painter's. Um, and you, you look at this verse, verse 22 of chapter 1 of Deuteronomy, and you see that it says, Then all of you came to me and said, Let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. And then Moses says, The idea seemed good to me. And you think about the Lord sometimes will let us, he'll give us a blessing on something that we choose to do, but it's not necessarily his will. So let's understand that stroke, that this is part of the picture that we're creating. God said send them, but it was because of them doubting him that he said send them. Then you go down to verse 17 of chapter 13 of Numbers. And it says, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through Najib and on into the hill country. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are the trees, are there trees on it or not? And then he says, do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. And you think about that as Moses is telling them, he's telling them to, to go to the land and see what the condition of the land is. And also to check out the people in the land. He's kind of saying, you know, God, you gave us this land. You promised it. But go out, these 12 spies, and check out the land and see if it really is fertile. And see if the people are kind of weak enough for us to go in and take the land. So that was that part of the story. And then I'm going to go through it really quick. And then you go through, uh, you go to chapter the same chapter, go to verse 21. It says, so they went up and explored the land. And then verse 23 says, when they reached the valley, it says they were cut, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. And then two of them carried it on a pole between them. So they went and explored the land and they brought back some fruit. And he asked them to do that. He said, go back and bring some fruit. And, and you can kind of anticipate but that. You know, if the Lord is saying it's the land of milk and honey, he's saying it's a real luscious land. And I think Moses might have thought, and the people definitely thought, well, bring back some proof that it's really luscious. So they brought back some grapes. 
And then if we go down to verse 27, they give a report to Moses. They tell him what they saw. And verse 27 says that they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. God, you were right. It does flow with milk and honey. And we know about the but, but the but is here. And they say, here is its fruit. Let me show you some of this fruit. Wow. Everybody probably looked at the grapes. They're probably huge grapes. Beautiful, luscious fruit. But they said, but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. And that's when it started to kind of, going uphill, it looked really good. People probably were excited a little bit. Wow, God was right. Look at this land. Look at the fruit of it. But um, what about these people, though? What's up with that? He says there was good fruit and big, bad people. They were bad, gnarly people. That's what the spies said, the ten. Ten said they were, you know, humongous, huge, long neck, big, big guys. And um, then let's go on. And then if you go to Numbers 1330, it says, but then Caleb kind of stood up. We have 12 spies, right? Another stroke. Remember, we're creating a picture. I want you to see the picture that we're creating. The word of God is full of pictures. This is a picture. It's a beautiful picture of what's happening. The people went there and spied the land. They came back with a report. The report sounded good, but then it started to disintegrate. And then all of a sudden, they mentioned the, the, the men the tall men, the bad men. But then Caleb, these are ten spies, said this. Now, there's two spies that said, well, well, no. We got a different interpretation here. They said uh, in verse 30, says, then Caleb silenced the people. He says, you know, just be quiet for a minute. I know you're excited. But hush for just a second. He said, um, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. That's interesting. Probably had the people kind of like, whoa, what's going on here? But the men, which is verse 31, who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. They are spread among the and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. And then the last part of the chapter it says, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. This is the picture. And we go to 14. And you go to verse 1. And the people are kind of now dealing with the choice now. you got two people saying we can go. And you got ten saying, no, we can't. And it says that night, all the people, I guess they're sitting around talking, talking to each other in the camp, spreading their feelings. You know how we spread feelings, you know. Well, I think this and, you know, I believe him because maybe, you know, I had a relationship with him. I know I know his mother and his mother was cool. 
she's a godly woman, and I think I believe him because... So they're talking amongst themselves. And this is the conclusion they came up with. It says, that night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. I mean, they screamed, and they wept aloud out of fear. All the Israelites, and then they grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, the whole assembly, wow, that's a big group. If only we had died in Egypt or in the desert, why is the Lord, why is the Lord now? I mean, I can understand, you know, you spies, you know, you, I don't like your report. I can't handle the report. Joshua and Caleb, you're, you're out of line. Moses and Aaron, you're out of line. You're out of line. You, you're doing all this and, and I can't, we don't understand what's going on. But they go further, a little further than that. They say, why is the Lord bringing us into the land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it, been, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Better? They said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back. Back where? Back to Egypt. And then... Joshua, son of Nun, he said, he stepped up, and this is when he got a little stronger, a little firmer. He said, um, who among those who had explored the land, they tore their robes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. It's a good land. We went through it for 40 days, and we saw the land. It was, it's good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Another stroke of the painter's brush. We have a little bit more of a picture. Now, if we really want to put this into um, perspective, we have to go to um, Exodus chapter 15. Because this is a pretty incredible chapter. This is after they crossed the Red Sea. He sang a song. These are the same people. They were singing a song. They made a song to God. I mean, if, you know, praise God for us who sing songs for God. You know, sitting at home and you're singing a song. You make up a song. You're like, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Kids do it. And we do it sometimes, don't we? We sing songs to him. We just, but it's like, the song was gone now. It's a different song. Listen to what they were singing. I'm not going to read the, the chapter, but the first verse is, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They sang a song to God. God. They lifted up their voices. Our rescuer. You saved us. Verse 2 says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. They're singing that. With joy, tambourines, dancing probably. We're going to fast forward now, like I said. Verse 11, it says, 
This is part of their song now. They're singing this song to God. They're singing it jubilantly, joyously, faithfully. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You're a wonderful God. We saw the soldiers attacking us. They were, they were about to kill us. You had just rescued us. We thought that we were going to die. But no, you worked a wonder. You rescued us. And we're singing to you, oh Lord. And then they go on in verse 13, it says, In your unfailing love, you will lead the people. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. I heard the song about who you are, God. And you, you said, I, we love you. You did something. You rescued us. But they went on. They had, a, they had a good frame of mind, a good perspective on it, I think. They says, in your unfailing love, you will lead. Wait a minute, will lead? He hadn't done it yet. I understand the song of, yes, Lord, you led us. Yes, Lord, you rescued us. But then it, they were gripped so much by the love of God, the appreciation the passion that they said you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. You will. Wow. Now they're showing some faith. This is what you will do now. And then it says the people of Canaan will melt away. Whoa. That sounds like you're anticipating what's going to happen. And then verse 16, but the power of your arm, they will but, the, but by the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. You will rescue us. You will destroy them until your people pass by. Wow. I love that. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. Another brushstroke. And wow, that picture is starting to become clear. And you know, the song that they were singing was a good song, wasn't it? That was a great song. Now I can kind of imagine when they're there and the spies have come back, the song has changed. The melody has changed. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. I can see them singing lions and tigers and bears. You remember that movie? Isn't that a beautiful movie? It's a great movie. But that's what they were singing now. Lions and tigers and bears. And I want to touch on three points, just real quickly, simple points. And they, these points have been in my heart for a while, and they, they just kind of put it in perspective. It's their vision is one of the points. Their vision. Their strength is number two. And then their perspective is number three. Three points. But if we want to understand a picture, it's like a play. The people come out, and they're doing little thing, and they're dancing, and they have their little props. But what's in the background of the of the plot, the, the props and everything? I mean, they have their little outfits on, and they're playing their little thing. But there's a backdrop 
that really kind of sets the standard of what's going on in the play or in the show. What's the backdrop to this? The backdrop, I believe, we have to go to Exodus chapter 2. So we're going to do a little bit of navigating, just a little. And I pray that this just kind of puts it together and makes the picture really clear. Exodus chapter 2. Because unless we have the perspective on what really is going on in this, this picture, we can lose out on the power of what really went, what's going on. And we must read chapter 2, verse 22, 23 to really get a grip on it. Because this is the backdrop. This is before. This is before they were even rescued. These are what now God is now involved. God is saying, okay, during that long period, the king of Egypt died and the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. This is chapter 2, verse 23. They cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery, slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God looked on the Israelites. And my first point, which I think was beautiful, and we're not going to talk about it, God was concerned. That's in the backdrop. God is concerned. He said it in his word. You're in Egypt. You're going through a great pain. I'm concerned. And then the next verse we're going to look at is verse chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. It says, the Lord said, said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their sufferings. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites. This is what God told them way before the Red Sea, way before the plagues. He said, I see your condition. First thing he said is, I'm concerned. I see your condition. And then if we go to verse 16 and 17 of the same chapter, it says, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into a land of the Canaanites, a land flowing with milk and honey. God was watching over them. So this is the backdrop. We're talking about God now. We're talking about God who has already talked to the Israelites. He's already showed them. He's already told them that I'm not just here. I'm concerned. This is the God who's concerned. This is the God who sees your condition. This is the God who's been watching over you. That's the backdrop. So when we look at this picture we have to include God or we're missing the picture. You see what I'm saying? We lose the picture if we don't see God in the picture. It's like taking a picture and removing the background. You're at a beautiful place, beautiful mountain scenery, 
And Rick and Emily are sitting there with their baby, taking a picture because they want the world to see this beautiful mountain scenery. And they take the picture and they, they actually show the picture to people. And people say, well, where were you? Because the mountains are gone. And it's just a white background. Well, the picture loses a lot of its power then. Because they took the picture in front of a mountain to show something. It added a lot to the picture. Wow. That majesty of the mountain, the beautiful scenery. When we look at this picture of the Israelites and their response, and we don't put the background there, we lose out a lot about what really is happening there. And I do that. I do that. I see a picture sometimes at work, a struggle. And I look at the struggle. It's like, wow, what was me? Wow, Lord. Whoa, what's happening? But I don't see him in the background sometimes. He's behind it saying, Ron, hello, I'm here. I'm behind the scenes. And I'm very important because if you don't see me, You lose the right picture. You don't see the picture properly. It's not right what you see because you have to include me. And that's what happened that day. They didn't see God in the background. So our first point is on their vision. Vision. What is vision? Well, vision is a blessing, isn't it? It's it's a blessing. It's a blessing that I can see you today. I see people in here. I see smiling faces. I see lovely faces. I see happy faces. I see Christians. I see people who we love. I see people. I see you. It's a blessing. It's a gift of God to have vision. They had vision. He said, go and spy out the land. He didn't send blind spies. He sent spies who could see. Why? Because he wanted them to take pictures. What's happening? What's going on? How's the land? How is the enemy? How big are they? Is it really flowing with milk and honey? You have to be able to see it. They saw it. And I thought about my daughter one day. I took her to Chuck E. Cheese. And I took her there because something was happening with Gabrielle and Marie, and they were doing something. I forget what it was. But it was just me and her, one-on-one. And we're sitting there, and we got all these tickets because the Lord blessed us, and we got tickets coming out of my pockets. They're just rolling with tickets because we play these little games, and, and God just blessed me. And tickets are just flowing from games. I'm thinking, okay, Lord, maybe she'll get a little toy. So we're looking up as we're picking the toys. And my daughter looks at me, and she says, but I can't see up there, Papa. I said, what do you mean you can't see up there? She said something really strange to me. She said, let me see your glasses. You mean my glasses? I'm 51 years old. I'm not giving you my 51-year-old glasses. You look through these, no telling what you're going to see. Like pop bottles. I don't know what you're going to see. So what she did is she, I gave them to her. I don't know why. I hope, you know, the Lord led that. And I think he did. Because she looked up. I see up there. I see it there. I see it there. I'm thinking, whoa, Lord, I almost cried. Because I realized she could not see. Because if she could see through these, she can't see really well. Because I can't see if I take these off. I mean, I see big blobs. Now, you guys, skinny blobs maybe, but. <laughs> but that's what happened. She, I realized for the first time, 
Wow, we need to get our eyes checked. That's what seeing is. What is seeing if you can't see? Where's the blessing if you can't see? When I put these glasses on, I can see. The first one, their vision, they saw. They were clear. That's a gift of God, being able to see. They sent them to spy out the land because he wanted them to see it. They saw it, didn't they? And there's nothing wrong with seeing in our conditions. We see them. And when we see somebody maybe we're dealing with, we see the person that's hard to deal with. We see it, see them clearly. And there's nothing wrong with being able to see. There's nothing wrong with being able to see something or an event that really is out of line. That's difficult. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what happened with these people. They saw these men. They saw the beauty. They saw the grapes. The lusciousness of the, 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 the environment was beautiful. They saw it clearly. But they also saw the enemy. And they saw him clearly. Because they were big. They weren't small. They were big. They were bigger than the Israelites. They probably pumped iron or pumped rocks. They, they were strong. They were powerful. They had good vision. It was nothing wrong with them seeing what they saw. It was accurate. It made perfect sense. Perfect sense. And I want to read something to you. Because I think it's really, really important that we understand about what we see. And we have to keep in mind about the backdrop. Or we lose out on appreciating what we see. And I'll read something that McIntosh wrote. He says, the unbelieving spies saw the difficulties. They saw them. Praise God. I want to see difficulties. I don't want to think and look at a difficulty and say, that's not a difficulty. That's something easy to deal with. I can't wait to deal with that. No problem. There's a difficulty. There's traffic going back and forth. I'm just going to walk through it. It's a difficulty, but who cares? No, that's not wisdom. That's not wisdom. He says they saw the difficulties. They did. They saw the great cities because they were great cities. They were big cities. They saw the high walls. They saw the tall giants. They saw them. They saw them. Goliathish. They were all big guys. Big dudes. They saw them. All these things they saw. Praise God for vision. But they did not see Jehovah at all. Backdrop. He's back there saying, I know you see him, and they're giants, but I'm here too. And I have promised you that I will take you into that land, and I will make sure that you defeat the giants. Just like I did at the Red Sea, just like I did with Pharaoh, all these things I promised. Hello, I'm here, I'm here. He says they didn't see him. How many times do I not see him? I don't see him sometimes. I look out in the world of my difficulties, and I look, and I have good vision with these on. And I see things. But do I see him? Because he's standing there saying, Ron, I'm here. I promised you things, didn't I? What did I promise you? I promised I'd watch over you. I promised I'd take you through all kinds of events. I promised that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I promised that you could count on me. 
I promise you I'm your Lord. I'll rescue you. I promise that I'm going to bring you to the kingdom. I promise that I'm going to take care of you because I love you. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, and I'm right here in the background just kind of hanging out. Do you see me? I don't see him sometimes. Do you see him? All the time? I don't. Sometimes I miss him. And I'm looking and I see the difficulty and it's like, wow, man, I can't handle that. I'm not going into that land. I don't want that. I know you promised me, Lord, you'd take care of me in this job, but, you know, my boss is too bad for me. I can't handle him. I'm leaving this job. He says, wait a minute, I'm here. Don't worry. Do not fret because of evildoers. They will wither like the grass, Ron. Oh, oh, I know that's your promise, but I don't see you. He says, but wake up, see me. Read something else, he says. They looked at the things that were seen rather than the things that were unseen. I can't see God right now. Can you? Unless he's in my heart and I trust him and I believe his promises, then I can see him. If I don't trust him, I can't see him because I don't believe he's there. Do we trust him this morning? No matter what situation we're in, do we trust that he's there in the backdrop? Going on too long on that. Second point was their strength. <sighs> they noticed their power. It was wise to understand our power. It's, under, it's very wise to understand that, you know, how strong we are and our abilities. It's actually wisdom to understand our abilities. I don't want to go out in a football field with these big guys and say, okay, I can hang with them. So it's wise to understand that I don't have that kind of strength. They understood. They saw the giants and they, could, they knew that they couldn't hang with them. They knew in their own strength they couldn't do anything. But what does God say? I love this chapter in, in um, Genesis where Joseph is talking to the Pharaoh after they released him from jail. And the Pharaoh had a dream and he came to Joseph and he says, I heard you can interpret dreams. This is the most wonderful verse in scriptures. Joseph said, I cannot do it. I can't do it. Apart from God. And what did Jesus say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's great to understand our strength. But it's great to understand that without God, we can do nothing. And it's good to be weak. Because when we're weak, we're strong. And there's nothing wrong with being weak. It's good to recognize that we can do nothing. And that is a blessing. That blessed me the last few weeks. That more I walked around and checked out things, I realized I don't have any power to do anything without him. Without him prodding me. Without him coming to my rescue. Without him assisting me. Without him working with me. Without him taking me through this difficulty. I have no power. And what happened with David and Goliath? David says, you come to me with your little, your, your, your spear, but I come to you with what? With the power of God. God. David and Goliath. And then the last thing I'll mention, because we need to move, is their perspective. Talked about their vision. Talked about their strength. And now their perspective. 
Because that's the key here is perspective. And I titled this this message cure the cure for the uncommon life or for common life, the cure for the common life. And we can have a common life without the backdrop. It's common to walk around and deal with our difficulties and be have no strength to deal with them. It's common to actually see the foe and see how big he is and not be able to to have the courage to go out and fight. It's uncommon to sit at the Lord's feet and say, I trust you, God. I trust you because you promised me Canaan. I don't have to know how I'm going to have victory in Canaan. That was the perspective that these two men had. They had the perspective that said, guess what? He said, the ten men saw the obstacles. Two men saw what? They saw the answers. Ten men focused on what could not be accomplished. Two focused on what could easily be accomplished by God's power. And what kind of perspective do we have? I had to check myself really a lot because in every opportunity to panic, I had to ask myself, where is the backdrop? Do you really see God in your life, Ron? Do you really appreciate the fact that he's there, that he's with you? That he will never forsake you. And one of my favorite verses, favorite, is in First Peter. When I'm reading the living, First Peter 5, 7, where it says, Let him have all your worries and cares. For he is always thinking about you and watching everything that concerns you. Our God, in the backdrop, is watching every single thing that concerns us. He is also thinking about everything that we're dealing with. And I want you to think about something. I'm going to give you a little story, and it's a goofy story, and some of the Safeway people might not be happy, but I was over at Walmart on a bad day. And Gene Dean said every day at Walmart's a bad day, but <laughs> sounds like he supports the Safeway crew. But I was over there, and it was a bad day. I mean, the weather was bad. And it was cloudy, and it was strange and overcast, and it was cold. And I'm walk, I park my car, and I'm cheerfully walking, everything's cool. And these birds are making a ton of noise. I mean, a ton of noise. They're on this little ugly tree right by the parking lot, this little tree that's it's a, a naked tree. There is no leaves. There is no fruit. There's nothing on the tree. And they're on the tree perched and singing. And I can look. I'm looking up at them. And behind them, I see the ugly sky. Rain's coming. It's cold. It's windy. Rain is on the horizon. There are no leaves on this tree. There's no fruit on this tree. There's no blessing on this tree, except maybe to hold them up so they don't fall. But they're singing. And I'm walking into Walmart saying, God, is that what you want from me? No matter if the whole world is cloudy, no matter if the rains are coming down on me, no matter how cold it is outside, no matter if I can't see the next 
piece of morsel that I'm going to get, no matter what is happening in my life, can I sing like these birds? And he crushed me with that. He says, yes, my son, you can, because if I take care of these birds and provide whatever I provide for them, because if they're singing, believe me, they're being provided for. He says, how much more can I provide for my son who got on his knees and said, I give my life to you, a faithful God that I can trust and depend on. He says, Ron, what do you think about that? He crushed me. He said, in every situation, Ron, I want you to understand that. Every situation, I want you to understand it. See the backdrop. I don't care what's happening on the stage. I don't care what the stage hands have set up. I don't care what this world provides. I don't care what issues you're dealing with. I want you to understand I'm in the background cheering you on. I'm in the background saying, go to Canaan. It's okay. The giants are there, but I'm bigger than them. I'm mightier than the giants. I'm bigger than the walls. I'm bigger than the towns. I'm bigger than your boss. I'm bigger than your husband and your wife or your kids. Don't worry about them. You just be faithful to me. Trust me. Do my will. Trust and obey. And guess what? I will take care of my part. Guaranteed. You do your part. I'll do my part. It crushed me. It really did. I'm I'm being honest. It crushed me. It made me realize that in every step I take, God's in it. Every step I take, no matter what it looks like, God's in it. And that God's looking to bless me. He's looking to encourage me. He doesn't take away the challenges. Sometimes obstacles come in. He says, I'm still with you, Ron. I know it's cloudy. I know it's difficult. But guess what? The loving arm of Jesus is around you. And I'm walking with you. And it's okay. And it's going to be okay. Don't worry. And you know what it realized? I really realized for the first time, I had to question myself. How much do I really trust you, God? Do I trust you in everything? Do I really trust you? Because if I really trust you, I'll obey you. I'll obey you. And I'll trust you no matter what comes. A story, and I'll let you go. It's about a a missionary in China. This is more than 50 years ago. She was forced to flee when the Japanese invaded Yanqing. But she could not leave her work behind. With only one assistant, she led more than 100 orphans over the mountains toward free China. And they wrote a book about it, a couple writers. And they said, during Gladys, her name was Gladys's harrowing journey out of war-torn Yancheng, she grappled with despair as never before. It hit home. Is it hitting home sometimes with us? I mean, it hit home where she was weighted with things, overwhelmed. After passing a sleepless night, she faced the morning with no hope of reaching safety. A 13-year-old girl in the group reminded her of their much-loved story of Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. And I could see this little 13-year-old girl, but Gladys, but Gladys, what about Moses? You read the story. Don't we believe it? Moses, you see what happened? The Red Sea, it looked terrible. And then God came through. And the little girl was 
you know, just rah, 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 rah. She's enthusiastic because she believes the story. She believes that it's a story that's real now. She believes that it applies to us, that God takes us through Red Seas all the time. So she said to her, don't you remember that story? And Gladys cried out in this desperation, but I'm not Moses. I'm not Moses. I am not Moses. I'm hurt. I can't handle this. I'm in trouble. I'm fearful. I'm not Moses. I don't have his strength. I don't have his abilities. I don't have his faith. I don't have his trust. I don't have his wisdom. I don't have his relationship. She said, that's okay. The little girl told her, okay, but Jehovah's is still God. Hello? I can see her saying, hello, but Jehovah is still God. Who's our God? He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much that you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. We thank God in heaven above. We thank you for who you are. You're not like a God that's like the Wizard of Oz type God, Lord, that's behind a curtain full of sound and fury and screaming and acting like you're big and powerful, but really you don't have any concern, but you are a real God. You're a real God that has real power. You're a God that has real love, that you look at us and you look in our eyes and you care about us. You really care about us. You really long for a relationship. You long for us to trust you deeper and deeper and deeper because you're willing to help us in any situation. And we ask you, Lord, this this wonderful day, Lord, that you would continue to show your compassion in each one of our lives, continue to teach us, continue to show your patience to us as we grow. And please give us, Lord, more faith. Give us more trust. Give us more obedience as we travel and navigate through this world, Lord. And we pray that you would come quickly, Lord. We'd come, you would come quickly and rescue us, Lord. And we also pray, Lord, that there's... Opportunity always for those that don't know you, Lord. You're God that always wants us to trust you. And the first relationship and the first decision that we must make as far as trusting you is to trust you as Lord and Savior. And we pray that if there's anyone here today, that they would trust the God that's in the Bible. They would trust the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for their sins and that they would invite you into their heart today. And if they're doing that today, that they would pull somebody aside today and say, I do want to get saved. I do want to have that faith. And, Lord, for each one of us, Lord, we just praise you. We thank you. We love you. And we ask that you continue to work in our lives and help us to do our part, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.